today's bonus episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street is a progressive campaign agency that specialises in community organising and we partner with businesses, organisations, trade unions and social democratic parties across the globe to develop community organising strategies and train leaders to build power from within their community. And in 2022, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories take action, give hope and organise communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Are you highly organised and love working in a fast-paced environment? Morris Blackburn, Australia's leading plaintiff law firm, is looking for an executive assistant to support their deputy CEO for a 12-month fixed-term contract based in Melbourne. This will include coordinating and supporting the deputy CEO with high-level administrative assistance, coordinating documents with strong attention to detail, building and managing relationships with key internal and external stakeholders and providing excellent client service. To apply, simply go to morrisblackburn.com.au forward slash careers. Be part of change and fight for fair. Apply now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast. Uh, normally out each Friday, we will be doing our regular um federal election weekly recap with David Feeney and uh, Emma Dawson. We'll take that one on Thursday as we normally do and it'll be out on Friday but we're recording this one on a Monday um, just because we're doing the last two weeks of the campaign we're doing a bonus episode for all of you wonderful social democrats out there um, and on this week's uh, bonus episode we're joined uh, by Jack Milroy. Jack um, is the managing director for Defiance, which is a digital firm that helps progressives and the Labor Party raise money and build power online. Uh, and Jack's also worked for a whole bunch of uh, progressive organisations, both here in Australia and Canada, and he's on the show today basically to talk about the digital campaign. Um, and I guess we have a bit of a yak about the evolution of digital campaigning and the, the role that plays within political campaigns, and we'll have a bit of a chat about how we're... Um, uh, seeing the two digital campaigns be run by both Labor and Liberal at this federal election. So check out today's episode. Uh, don't forget to also uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you like the show, be sure to give us five stars on your favourite podcast app. And uh, once you're done listening to today's episode, uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcast or uh, Podchaser. And for all the latest updates, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn and also if um, you haven't volunteered for Labor in this campaign yet uh, there's still plenty of time to do so. We're recording this on a Monday, pre-poll started today. People are now voting. The most impactful thing that you can do as a supporter for Labor if you want to see a uh, Anthony Albanese Labor government elected on the 21st of May then go and make calls to targeted undecided or persuadable voters or knock doors to targeted undecided or persuadable voters talking to voters is the most effective and impactful thing that you can do in this election campaign nothing else we don't need strategy steves to rock up to a local campaign and say oh, i've got the strategy we don't need people to write policy because they're all done all we're going to do now is just talk to voters and have meaningful conversations with them about what's important to you find out what's important to them and then just talk about how together you can make change and that's by putting a one next to that labor candidate in the seat that you're working in so go to um, if you're in Victoria, go to thisislabor.org forward slash volunteers or just go to thisislabor.org and put your data in there uh, or go to alp.org.au, which is the national campaign website and give your data over there and someone from the campaign will be uh, sure to give you a call and sign you up for a phone bank or a door knock shift. 
Okay, let's get to today's episode. We are taping this one on a Monday evening on the land of the Wurundjeri people and uh, joining me for tonight's uh, first of two episodes this week um, is the managing director, managing director for Defiance, a digital firm that helps progressives and the Labor Party raise money and build power online. We're all about that. Uh, and he's also worked with leading progressive and worker organisations here in Australia and over in Canada including the International Association of Firefighters, the NDP, which is our sister party in Canada, uh, the United Workers' Union here in Australia, and obviously the ALP, and he's joining me on the line from Sunny Hobart. Jack Milroy, welcome to Socially Democratic. Hey, great to be here. Thank you. And it was sunny here today, actually. Uh, it's been very nice. Fantastic. I, actually, I'm going to be in Hobart in uh, early June, which I had completely forgotten about. Um, my partner and I had booked a holiday to come down to Hobart um, maybe a year and a half ago and then COVID mm-hmm. happened. We've moved the date of this trip four times um, and uh, finally finally, we think it's going to happen this June. So we're very excited about coming down to see your lovely town. Yeah, that'll be great. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who, who had to do that kind of dance of putting things off and we're open and then we're closed and open and then we're closed. But, you know, we're still here for you when you get here. And we're looking forward to it. I love, uh, love being down in, uh, in that part of the country. It kind of reminds me of Ireland in some ways, just because of the weather and the so mm-hmm. so green. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's um, let's uh, we're going to talk about digital campaigning uh, on today's show. Um, this uh, this week and next week, obviously, we're in the final two weeks of the campaign. Um, we're just um, trying to give our audience as much content as we possibly can. Obviously, we'll still do our um, Friday wrap with uh, David Feeney and Emma Dawson, but I just wanted to get you on the show today just because the role of digital campaigning is playing such a critical, uh, is such a critical um, um, tool for political parties and obviously the Labor Party um, heading into the final two weeks of the campaign. And I, I just wanted to get you on today's show just to talk a bit about, I guess, the evolution of digital campaigning and the role it's going to play in this particular campaign. Uh, starting with um, the the to give some context for our listeners out there, the the evolution of digital campaigning. Walk us through, um, I guess, the history of digital campaigning for liberal democracies. And when I think about it myself, I sort of think about Howard Dean's failed uh, run for the Democratic primaries um, in uh, the uh, early two thousands. It was the first time that I kind of noticed that a political campaign was using digital online tools to engage with voters, but. What's your what's your um, memories or or um, experiences of the the evolution that um, online has played in political campaigns? Yeah, the, the Dean campaign is actually um, generally kind of considered, like you say, the kind of first digital forward uh, political campaign. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, it's you know, Obama two thousand and eight was was when this got was when this got started was when political parties really." understood the power um, that they could leverage online. But really that uh, 2008 Obama wouldn't have been possible without 2004 Dean. And and actually some credit to the 2004 you know, eventual nominee, John Kerry too, who um, you know a lot of folks from the Dean campaign went over to the Kerry campaign um, for 2004. So for example, you know, they, they kind of had, you know, the first email list uh, for a major, you know, political party candidate. Um, they fund, did some fundraising off that email list. They got people to turn out to events um, using their email list, which now just seems like 
well, of course, that's what you do, right? But like back then, that was that was new and that was quite huge. So, um, you know, I really do think that um, uh, Dean is the is the the best example of that. And then, of course, that was like supercharged uh, once we hit um, once we hit two thousand and eight. So yeah, look, I mean, two thousand and four, the Democratic primary is where this really got started, um, and then everything kind of built from there. And, and the whole political um, technology community that came out of um, uh, the US from two thousand and four onwards um, was born out of that campaign. And a lot of the actual personnel went on to create a lot of the political technology companies that now have um, kind of fueled um, digital campaigning and digital organizing. You know, up until today. When we're considering the role that um, digital can play in a broader campaign strategy, what are, you know, if you're going to sit down and actually start to develop a digital strategy, what are you strategizing to achieve for the campaign starting to begin with? Yeah, look, there's, there's a couple of things. And I think it's, it's really important to situate your goals uh, for digital. Um, they should be aligned with the overall campaign goals, right? So there's a saying in in the US um, in democratic politics, which is, does this bring in money or votes, right? Like the two things that we're trying to achieve in a, in a campaign is to raise money to keep the, you know, the whole enterprise going, keep the party going or the candidate going, and ultimately to win votes. So anything that the digital kind of side of the campaign is doing needs to be um, aligned with those top line goals. So that could be, you know, generally um, trying to, um, grow your audience for your candidate or the campaign, right? One of the, one of the things that digital is, you know, uniquely positioned to do better than any other uh, medium is to um, get to scale and get to scale really quickly and reach a lot of people and really grow an audience. So the first thing you'd be thinking about is, you know, how do we, how do we use these tools to reach as many people as possible with this message? And then the the question is, well, what do you want to do with, you know, what's the point of reaching them? Um, and I would say that that's when you start getting a little more granular. You get to, we want to um, recruit donors. We want to recruit volunteers um, to do door knocking and other things. Um, and we want to have conversations with voters uh, online or in person. We want to talk to them about, you know, a candidate. We want to try to convince them to, you know, if you're in the U.S. context or, you know, well, really any other context, <laughs> you want to convince them to turn out and vote. In Australia, of course, we don't have to do that GOTV. We don't have to do that turnout conversation. So for us, digital becomes more around engaging our base around volunteering and fundraising and then talking to persuadable voters um, and hopefully trying to you know, serve them enough messages that you can you know, persuade them to vote uh, for us. If you break up those two strategic goals then and starting with the persuasion component, um, what are the tools that you would uh, embrace to, to, to do that? Well, the tools that you would need are, look, there's some basic things, right? Like you really need a warehouse for your data. That's the first thing. On, on, on Before you can do anything else, you need to make sure that everything you're doing is tracked somewhere. And from the kind of um, right down to the granular level of which voters you've talked to when, um, up to, you know, how many voters have we talked to uh, today? So you really need, um, you know, I would say it's best to use a commercial CRM, although there are kind of um, specialist political tools available. So you want some sort of um, where to house your email list. You want somewhere to house your supporters list, your volunteers list, your donor list. So that's something that's really, you know, um, uh, essential. And then out of that, you have a whole bunch of plugins that you can use, right? So you would need an email platform. You would need something to um, uh, host events and have people to sign up to attend events. You'd need, you know, landing pages for uh, petitions and other online actions. You'd need donation pages, uh, payment processor, all of these type of building blocks of the campaign. Um, those things, you know, these days you, you, you can't have, you can't have any sort of campaign without those foundations in place. 
And so I guess that, I mean, it's interesting to talk about data because I mean, it's just such a critical um, base for all campaigns today. I, I actually want to get your thoughts on this because I, I think there are two schools of thought when it comes to political campaigning and maybe even campaigning more broadly. If there was a schism, if there are, two, if we could, let's use some of the language of the Labor Party, which is factions. If there are two factions within the campaign world, I would say that there are the those who subscribe to the data-driven method of political campaigning, and there are those that are more, I guess, from that sort of '80s, '90s world where it was all based on you know experience and and gut feel. Um, and over the sort of that 2010 to now, that these two groups are sort of been butting heads. There's the folk that go, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years, don't tell me how to campaign. And there's other people who go, well, no, no, the data sort of suggests that, you know, we should probably go in a different direction. Um, talk us through the importance of uh, that, that, the data set in the work of digital campaigning and directing uh, if you, you know, if you're a practitioner of di- digital campaigning, how important is that data to you in your work? Whether you are seeking to persuade voters or or, or fundraise or get mobilise people to to volunteer. Mm. Yeah, it's it's uh, you won't be surprised to hear that I think it's extremely important. Um, and I think there's there's two there's kind of two reasons it's important. So the first reason it's important is that um, we don't have unlimited resources in terms of we don't have unlimited money and unlimited time, um, which are the things that we have in campaigns, right? We're dealing with money and we're dealing with time. So it's really important to know um, how effective any tactic or anything you implement is being because uh, there's an opportunity cost um, to doing that thing because you're not doing something else. So you want to make sure the thing you're doing is actually working, whether it is, you know, recruiting volunteers, whether it's, you know, finding donors, whether it's persuading voters. Um, and then you also want to know, are you doing it in the most cost effective way possible? So, you know, it's possible to go out there and recruit a uh, thousand new, uh, volunteers, uh, with, you know, say, uh, Facebook ads that have, you know, a picture of, I don't know, X, Y, Z on it. And then you could recruit a thousand volunteers, um, through Facebook ads that have, you know, a different picture on the landing page, but they may cost totally different amounts of money. You may be paying $1 per person for version A. You may be paying $10 per person for version 2. They both have the same result. But the reason that the data matters is because one of them is costing a whole lot more. So it's it's really important because we don't have unlimited resources, we need to get the most out of those resources. So that's why tracking what we're doing really matters. Um, but I will say kind of on the, on, the, on the broader point you made around that kind of cultural clash between um, between the kind of, you know, kind of legacy campaigners uh, going from the gut, shooting from the hip um, and and a more kind of data-driven uh, new cohort or generation. Um, I will say that it is, um, it is, it is difficult as a di- digital practitioner, right? Because the, because the digital field is designed and set up to, um, to actually allow you to have a lot of data and a lot of insight into what's working and what isn't working, and we want to surface that data. So as digital folks, and this is probably very true for field folks as well, right? You go to the campaign leadership and you say, hey, this is working well. This is not working so well. Here's our ROI on this. And then that's, I'm just going to say, the TV people never have to show that. They're just like, yeah, it's probably working, mate. And it's like, well, or, or, or they'll say, oh, well, look, that looks a bit expensive. And it's like, compared to what? You don't have to have to show your work. 
Um, and I don't mean this about any people in particular, but it's more around a cultural clash of kind of um, uh, different styles of campaigning. So digital is by very nature more transparent. We have more view into it. We can see how it works and how it doesn't work. And, and it's very open like that. Um, and uh, traditional, maybe traditional styles of campaigning don't, we don't have a window into them. So sometimes it's a bit hard as a digital, you know, as a digital team or a digital leader, because you feel like you're, you're kind of naked up there. You're showing everyone, you know, what's working and what isn't. And it's not always the case that the rest of the campaign is doing that. Oh, look, that whole um, sentence uh, there, that, 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 that lovely rant, Jack, you've had <laughs> hundreds of uh, field organizers and, uh, and digital practitioners going, oh, you know, my pain. Uh, so, you know, it's no coincidence that I've not had a, a TV ad guy on this podcast um, before because if I did, that would last probably three or four minutes. I'd tell him to get the fuck off my show. Anyway, um, so, yeah, absolutely. Now, and here's – so my follow-up question here is, is, is then going to that point because you don't want to have – sometimes you probably don't want to have this conversation with, say, a, 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 a campaign director – to some degree, because sometimes you don't want to sort of highlight the deficiency of the work you do because we are so transparent. But let's talk about the challenges that we do have in, in, in this respect. There is a debate going on within the what I would call the data-driven campaign community about the effect that digital has um, uh, on voters as a persuasion tool, um, you know, um, partly because it's, it's, you know, it's difficult to measure the impact mm. of the work that you do when you put out, say, a post or something goes up on Facebook mm. or, or an ad that's on YouTube. On YouTube. And also the, the limitations you have within ta uh, targeting to the individual. Mm. I want to get your thoughts on, on that debate. What, do you perceive those as limitations? Have we got better in being able to target? Have we got better being able to actually measure the impact that um, uh, a piece of digital communication has? Yeah, I'll say like as a kind of a, a my kind of prior on this is you know, I have a political science background and the political science literature suggests we don't know very much about what makes people uh, change their vote. As a, as a kind of general statement, we don't have a good view into into how and why people make voting decisions, probably because people make them for all sorts of personal gut driven you know uh, ego driven and i don't mean that in kind of the you know critical sense but as in more of the you know psychological sense you know we make voting decisions for weird reasons basically people make odd decisions based on things happening in their life and we don't have a lot of insight into what works and what doesn't in terms of persuasion so it would follow then that um you know persuading people or being or being certain that you've persuaded someone to change their vote through a digital tactic or any other tactic is a really hard thing to know and a hard thing to measure. So um, what I would say is the way that I kind of approach digital, my kind of take on it is that digital is um, really, really good for things that you can measure. So what we can measure is we can measure the number of volunteer signups, the number of volunteers that go out and, um, you know, do a shift. We can measure the amount of donors. We can measure, we can measure, you know, my work is a lot in fundraising. So we can measure the ROI on, on donor recruit, recruitment. How many dollars do you spend to get more dollars back basically? Um, so digital is great for those things. In terms of, you know, knowing what content is working, um, because obviously we, we've got to put content out there, right? Like we can't just be like, oh, we don't know if someone, if, if anything we do changes the vote. Well, you know, campaign directors and no one's going to say, well, maybe we just won't do anything because like obviously we're going to do things. So what, what can you use as proxies, I think, is the question. What can you use as proxies to know, a uh, proxy metric to know if maybe this is moving people? 
And I think the way that we try to measure that is through this kind of little bit fuzzy kind of concept of engagement. Um, you know, we'll look at what kind of content online is getting the most, you know, likes, clicks, shares, etc. The problem that you've got there, though, is you've got to make sure that um, the pe- that you're just really clear about the cohorts of people that are engaging with your stuff. Um, and it might be that a particular cohort, uh, for example, so for the Labor Party, if we put out a post and it absolutely bombs and it's got a whole lot of dislikes and a whole lot of, you know, trolls in the comments, um, that may matter if those people are our target voters or it may not matter at all if they're not our target voters, right? So um, the whole thing gets a bit slippery, particularly on social media because you don't necessarily know all the time um, how something is performing, um, because how something is performing is tied to who is seeing it and who you want to see it. Um, so this is, this is a little bit long-winded, but basically the safer way to do it is to focus on metrics that really matter to you. Um, so if you can say, for example, um, if we're signing up twice as many volunteers each week of this campaign than we were last campaign, that's probably a good proxy metric for things going well. If we're recruiting more donors than we've ever recruited before, raising more money than we've ever raised before, we're probably doing something right um, and we can probably continue on as we are. It's pretty unlikely, I reckon, that you would see a, uh, a winning campaign um, where all of those metrics fell off and no one wanted to volunteer for you and no one wanted to donate to you. So I think it's important to have some proxy metrics and that's probably the, the best way that I think that you can get some sort of measurable um, indication of, of how things are performing. Uh, you mentioned before about one of the things you can measure and that's fundraising. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the role that digital has played in uh, Australian campaign politics in that fundraising uh, space and lean into your experiences both in Canada and in the United States and I want to get a comparison there. Um, are we punching above our weight in think about the Labor Party? We obviously don't know how well the, the Tories are unless you do know how well the Tories are doing in terms of fundraising but the Labor Party, I know that working on the 2016 federal campaign uh, that was their biggest uh, uh, campaign for they they hit their target goal that they wanted to get. I can't remember what the figure was, but it was a substantial amount. And at the time, when you compare it to the kind of money that's washing through, you know, American politics, it seemed like a drop in the ocean. But for Australia, it was quite big. I think it was over a million dollars uh, at the time. I just want to get a sense of um, how you think that we're going in that, in that fundraising space with mm. uh, digital campaigning. Yeah, look... We are um, Australian politics, or oh, sorry, Australian political campaigning. Um, you know, as you're probably like, if you're, you know, really familiar with on the field side, is probably about five years behind what happens in the US, and then Canada is about a year behind what happens in the US, just because they're closer to them and there's more and there's more cultural, you know, exchange and, and stuff. Um, so what I would say is that we are still a few years behind what's happening in North America on digital fundraising. Um, we are improving all the time. We're raising more money uh, year on year each year. Um, so we're heading in the right direction and we're meeting our goals. Uh, as you said, like the campaign met its goals in 2016. You know, I understand the campaign's going to hit its goals this year in, in, um, in 2022, which is fantastic. But our, I would say our goals are too low. We have the bar set too low. Um, so for example, um, in Canada, which is, you know, a more comparable um, size country than the US, similar kind of style of politics, similar amount of kind of money in politics. Um, um, the New Democratic Party, the NDP, which, you know, I worked with and was affiliated with, um, will raise, you know, millions on millions a year, right? Five million, 10 million a year. 
online. Um, and Canada is slightly bigger in population than Australia, but the NDP has never held federal government. It's a third party. Um, the Labor Party is a party of government and, yeah, at different times has been the natural party of government in this country. So um, I would say, you know, we are improving, but we we don't need to make a few more small steps. We need to actually make a bit of a leap on digital fundraising, I think. Um, and so I think there's a lot of room to grow there. I will also say that the funding arrangements or the political financing in Australia is different to in Canada and the US. So in Canada, um, union and business contributions are, are banned everywhere in the country now um, and there's a cap on individual donations so that that is that has forced the parties um, to to really lean into digital fundraising we haven't had that moment yet it's not the people in you know in the labor party liberal party like we don't want people to donate of course they do but they haven't invested in the same way as uh, parties in Canada or in the US have in full fundraising teams, you know, engaging agencies and vendors, you know, hiring a director of digital fundraising, like really leaning into it. It's still in this country largely done um, in the off years and when there's not a campaign, it's largely done off the side of the desk um, if it's done at all. Um, so we're definitely heading in the right direction and the results that um, I've seen working with Labor clients in the last you know, year and a half in Tasmania and South Australia in the recent South Australian election and now in the federal election um, is Australians will give, right? Australians don't want to not give money online. Australians will donate to the Labor Party. People are fired up to give money. Um, but generally, we don't have the system set up and we don't have the investment in, in really making that work yet. Is another one of our limitations that our lists aren't big enough? Yeah, that is a limitation for sure. Um, the 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 power of your fundraising program is is you know related to the size of your list. And um, what we don't do in Australia enough, uh, most folks don't do consistent lead acquisition, right? So consistent list growth, uh, running campaigns all the time, getting people to sign up and opt into an email list. And you can do that through petitions. You can do that through other online actions. You can do it through just straight up join our email list. Like there's lots of different ways you can frame that. Uh, but you've got to invest in it and you've got to run ads to it. Uh, you've got to actually spend money. And that's where you get um, the calculation, right? It's like, well, it may cost us $3 to recruit uh, uh, an email address to our list, but we calculate that we can turn X number of those into a donor. And over time, you know, we'll make back $10 for every $3 we spend or, or something like that, right? So there is an initial outlay for this. But over time, what you build is a really powerful uh, fundraising machine and a, and a powerful um, activist machine too because you're recruiting a lot more volunteers. Volunteers are most likely to be donors and donors are most likely to be volunteers. And there's some people that will do one or the other, um, but there's a lot of overlap with those things. Yeah, it's funny. That I always had the assumption that um, that if someone didn't want to knock on a door or make a call, then they were more likely to give money and that we also never wanted to build in double asks into, say, an email. We wouldn't say donate and give money um but uh, marshall gantz told me this and i don't know if it was a study that was done or an experiment done through the analyst institute but it showed that people were likely to do both yeah yeah people are absolutely likely to do both i think the question is are you are you confusing the ask in a in an email to include both but that doesn't mean people won't do both even in the same week or the same day right it's just how do you layer those asks yeah correct uh, the other thing back to that list um, building stuff as well i mean the the way that I've sort of mentally approached this when I was working for the Labor Party, and if I can use the Victorian landscape as an example, I think roughly there's about, give or take, on the worst, worst day for the Labor Party, there's still at least a million people that will rock up to vote on election day and vote for the Labor Party. Um, and that is 
what I would call our base opportunity. That is the group of, that's the cohort of people that we want to find out about and get their data and then engage with them in a meaningful mm-hmm. way to be involved in the political process, either come and volunteer for the community action network or donate to a local campaign or donate to the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and we're not going to get a million people. Even if you've got 10% mm-hmm. of that, that's huge. Mm-hmm. It's a huge list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we sort of, you know, each election cycle would come around. I've heard the odd candidate go, oh, Stephen, we're tapped out. We won't be able to get any more volunteers. And I'm going, that's just garbage. I said, you're living in an electorate of 44,000 voters and, you know, 40% of them at the last election voted for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's the base that you want to be reaching out to. They're the, they're the people. You should be having 10, you know, 10, 20,000 people involved in your campaign, not, yeah. not you know, 1,000 or, you know, 450 or whatever the goal would be, you know. So it, it applies both in field and in digital, I guess. So we have to lift our eyes a bit towards what we really should be working towards. And as you said, both in digital and field, you can't just do it in election years. It has to be happening all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a bit of a... um. There's a bit of historical legacy of, of, of us in the Labor Party viewing Labor Party members as our core uh, activist core, our core kind of, um, you know, supporters, and then everyone else. There's only two groups in society, right? There's, there's, a, there's members of the Labor Party and people who are not members of the Labor Party. And really, like I think you're right, I think there's three to five million people in this country who are rusted on Labor people on values, right? And... Um, we don't have to get all of them. We don't have to get half of them. We don't even have to get 10% of them really. Um, you know, but if we can activate a, you know, a small percentage of those across the country, that will have huge impact on, um, our ability to run campaigns and our ability to raise money. And, um, something that I think about a lot is over, you know, over the last you know decade or so, I've tried to cultivate uh, normie friends, people who are not uh, in the Labor Party, <laughs> just to keep keep me sane. I, I recommend it to anyone, and a lot of those folks are you know like they might vote Labor, they're they're kind of generally progressive, um, but they've never been asked, and they've never they're not on any Labor uh, email lists mostly, and it's not because they've like chosen not to be, it's because we haven't put that opportunity in front of them time after time after time after time. Um, and if they were, um, you know, a lot of these um, normal, general kind of progressive folks would donate to the Labor Party. They absolutely would. Because you see where uh, branches, uh, Labor Party branches have invested in list growth, um, that that pays off. So in South Australia, for example, you know, they have run a whole bunch of online campaigns over a number of years that kind of culminated in, in the state election a couple months ago. And we saw that, that through a kind of fairly big supporters list, uh, email list and, and uh, SMS list, we're getting heaps of donors who are not members of the Labor Party, and we can obviously tell that. Um, you know, they're not members of the Labor Party. They've never been to a Labor Party event. They've never done anything like that. But they're giving consistently because they wanted to, you know, help elect uh, Peter Malinowskis and Labor. So, you know, if there's if there's that many of them, there's more of them uh, is the way that I think about it. Yeah, and that was one of the biggest, I guess, um, strategic shifts within the work that we're doing in Victoria within the field program was we said, right, we need to move beyond just our party lists to recruit folks to make calls and knock doors. And that was when we started to um, reach out to uh, Labor voters. Um, I won't go through the ways we did it because I don't want to give away the the tools of the trade to our Tory friends that are listening. But but basically, we worked out ways in which we could identify those folk and actually have a meaningful conversation. Our field organisers would have a, a conversation with them and recruit them to um, events, and eventually they would get involved in the Community Action Network. And that's why 65% of the volunteers in Can are not members of the Australian Labor Party. It works, you know. And as you said, people want to be involved in the political process. People want an opportunity to to 
action their values. Uh, they vote Labor every year. They rock up no matter, you know, rain, hail or shine, no matter how, how shit our candidate is or how amazing our candidate is, they mm-hmm. still put a one next to that ALP person um, and they just want an opportunity. And it's, it, we see this replicated in the stories and the conversations that we have at a, at a grassroots level when people get involved in our campaigns and they tell their story. It's like, you know, I, you know this issue is important to me and I got involved because then I got a phone call from x you know the field organizer mm-hmm. gave me a call and they invited me to a one-on-one or an event and away i went and the I, you know the, the digital journey is the same really isn't it yeah to yeah my point then how do you bring people along that journey from signing a um uh or that sort of first contact in the online mm-hmm. space to then stepping them through that that i guess that yeah. uh, that, that that ladder of engagement we um that we can call yeah, look, that, and that has evolved over the years. My approach to that has evolved over the years and, and a lot of campaigners, digital campaigners' approaches evolved. About 10 years ago, um, there was, uh, the school of thought was that you needed a really well-crafted, really kind of granular ladder of engagement to kind of walk people up, right? Um, and, you know, don't ask them to do volunteering before you've asked them to do a follow-up online action and don't ask them to donate until they've come to a vol- or whatever, right? Like all this kind of really complicated um, or kind of a, a hierarchy of engagement. Um, and and we ran that for a while in, you know, you know in the US and in Canada and, and Australia. But the problem with that is it doesn't scale particularly well. Um, and you need really, really good systems on the back end to be able to track and manage all of that. And so where I've come to now, kind of what I believe is that, you know, if someone, if someone takes an action uh, online, you know, say it's a petition or, or some sort of sign up, they're already signaling to you that they're ready to go. Like they don't, like not, not that many people in society will take a Labor Party action online. So those that do are like, they're doing it for a reason and they want to be engaged and they want to be, you know, put to work. So um, I think the best thing we can do is make sure that we are sending people and engage, you know, showing people really good content. Um, and I mean this across anything that we do, whether it's emails, whether it's what's on our website, whether it's our social media content, something that um, all political parties and all political candidates are way behind brands in the corporate sector on is, is you know, surfacing really good, engaging, meaningful, valuable content to people so that they want to keep coming back and learning more and engaging with you and being an ambassador for the party or you know, a brand as the case may be. So the thing that I think is really important is so when someone signs up, you know, if someone, if folks out there are, are wanting to actually build something out of this, if someone signs up, they should get a welcome email. Like that's the first thing, right? Like um, welcome email or an SMS, depending on, you know, what they signed up with. Um, and it should say, hey, thanks for, thanks for signing up. You know, we're so glad to have you. Here's a few resources where you can learn more. Um, we're going to be back in touch soon. This is, this is how often you should expect to hear from us. Uh, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it is, um, just so people are like, oh, okay, I see what I've got myself into here, right? I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to start getting daily fundraising emails without someone telling me I'm going to get daily fundraising emails. Um, and, you know, another thing you should do is put a big old unsubscribe button on that first email. Let people opt out straight away if, if they want. That's totally fine. Anyone who's thinking of opting out, you want them to do that. You don't want them. You don't want them sticking around because they're going to have a bad time. They're not going to help you anyway. Um, and it's And it's kind of a waste. So, Give people a really great welcome straight away. And then when you're sending folks stuff, whether it's by email or by text, make sure that it is uh, quality, right? It's well-written. You know, it looks beautiful. Uh, it links through to great content on a website or, or social pages. Uh, and if, you know, uh, if people reply to emails or to texts 
respond to them. If they have questions, respond to them. You've got to engage with people, right? Like uh, too often we treat digital like a broadcast medium and it's actually a conversational medium. And so, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, when, when I'm sending, um, you know, fundraising emails or whatever, people will respond um, and they'll say, oh, I'd like to donate, but I'm not sure about X, Y, Z, you know? And you say, well, you know, actually here's our policy on this. And, and, and 90% of the time they get back to you and say, great, that's fantastic. I just donated 50 bucks. If we hadn't responded to them or engaged with them, they would have just thought, oh, these people don't care about me. So that's, that's my kind of basic thing. Show really good content to people that's high quality and you've invested in creating. Welcome them in a meaningful way and engage with them if they try to engage with you. I couldn't help but I was sort of laugh in my mind, my mind when you're saying about the welcome email. Uh, you know, if you join the Labor Party, certainly here in Victoria, it'd probably be held welcome to the Labor Party. Uh, mm. Your membership's been placed in, in, into uh, irregulars because we probably think you're a stack. You have to wait for <laughs> half months. I don't know. We're, yeah. we're, and quite frankly, we're very suspicious of you right now. And uh, yeah. we won't, you won't hear from us again. And then eventually you're going to get a letter saying you've been kicked out of the Labor Party because we, you know, we may or may not think you're a stack, but admin couldn't agree on exactly what the issue was. So it was easy just to answer yeah. to leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that like, you know, like that experience, whether it's to that level, you know, based on what's happening in Victoria at the moment, or just the general level where you get a letter in the mail, like months later, and they're like, welcome, your branch is at the whatever town hall. And, and people, people's experience of joining things today is instantaneous. When they buy things, it's instantaneous. The experience is good. It feels good. They're immediately welcome. We've got to try to replicate that. Because if we don't, people are just going to take their attention somewhere else uh because it's exactly it's so competitive like membership-based organizations outside of the labor party have recognized this businesses have recognized this organizations have recognized this and it's they all look at each other and go how do we be better than them how do we build Mm. a relationship with this new person that's come into our into our orbit and our world um Mm. yeah anyway i I don't want to spend the whole touch on the revolution campaign but um let's um let's talk about uh just picking up on that point we were just saying before about um digital and the relationship it has with then trying to mobilize folks um from that Mm. offline space to the online space going sorry get that other way around mobilizing from the online space to the offline space and that is volunteering i want to get your thoughts on this when I was a when I was uh, working at head office in Victoria during the 2013 federal campaign, um, we had just launched the field program for the very very first time, and we were really annoying the folks down at CHQ in William Street to say, "Can you put out a couple of broadcast emails to your list asking people to volunteer?" We got one, and we really mm. really had to negotiate to get that. They were really reluctant to do that. In 2016, same deal again, but I think we made a little bit of headway. I think we might have got two or three over the course mm. of the six weeks, and I took that as a win. <laughs> I was like, oh, mm. well, yeah, more than the one, the one before that. 2019, I wasn't on the campaign, but I just tried to keep a track of how many of them came out. There wasn't that many. And in this campaign, uh, they seem to be asking for my money most of the time. I've not seen any kind mm. of emails from the national campaign. Certainly here in Victoria, I've got plenty of emails asking me to volunteer mm. my time. Um, what is your, what's your experience down in Tasmania? What are your thoughts mm. on that? Um, are we doing enough to work through our lists to get folks to come and knock on doors and make calls? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think we are. And I'll say like as a fundraiser, I actually love volunteer recruitment emails because it's really important, I think, to break um, break the kind of um, the the flow of consistent fundraising emails with something different. 
um, because I think that actually helps fundraising, right? Because it gives people reason to open email and not to think I'm going to be asked for money every time I open this email. So I actually think there's a strategic fundraising imperative for sending um, volunteer emails and non-ask emails that are just simply, you know, good content, good information, um, interesting stuff. So I'll say that, I, you know, it's not an either or. They both really work well together. Um, I think... I think it probably comes down to incentives and metrics. I would probably say that um, digital teams have strong metrics around um, fundraising and what they're expected to raise. And if the field team doesn't have similar metrics and is not being held to account to for those volunteer numbers, there's less of an incentive for them to do that. There's less of an incentive for them to push for um, space in the email calendar. Now, I don't know that that's the case or, or not at all, but... Um, but I would say often it will come down to metrics and incentives. So the, the question there really is we got to make sure that um, the party values uh, volunteer signups. If the party values volunteer signups, I'll move heaven and earth to get them in the email stream the same way they do with fundraising emails. So, um, you know, I would say that you, you got you got to think about field and digital as, as, one, uh, as one thing. Um, where we have the same goals, um, we have different metrics, but we're really trying to activate people, um, you know, bring in money and bring in votes. And, um, you know, and, and by bringing in volunteers is one way you bring in votes. So the leaders of the digital camp- campaign, the digital team and the field team should be thick as thieves. They should be um, constantly talking and scheming and figuring out how they can support each other and help each other hit their metrics. And I think where I've seen that happen, um, it's worked really, really well. And it's a better experience at the end of the day for the people on your list and for your supporters because they don't feel like they're only being asked to do one thing and nothing else. They feel like, um, and the story, and this is important to you, the story that you tell in those emails or those texts or, or whatever has to be about why each of these two things are important, why it's important to donate. It's not just because we want money to sit in the bank account. Like like political parties don't like have a lot of money sitting around in the bank, right? We're, we're deploying that money so that we can win elections. And we need to talk about that. We need to be open about why that is. And the same with volunteers, right? We're not just doing it so that we can, you know, say, oh, we got lots of people out. We're doing it because we have a a strategy around why volunteers are important and why it's meaningful. So I think if you start from um, the perspective of the supporter uh, and think about, well, what would be really motivating to them and what what questions would they have about um, volunteering and donating, um, you can design a program that works, uh, works for field and for digital. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I completely agree with you, everything you just said there. And, you know, my experience in Victoria when, you know, I, I'm lucky because I'm in a position of, you know, perceived power and being an assistant secretary. Um, but, you know, to your point, you know, you want to see the field director have a very close relationship with the with the digital yeah. director and the data director as well. And I and, mm-hmm. you know, and that experience in Victoria was like that. Like, it, you know, mm-hmm. the field director was like a Tony Liberatore run with role. They basically placed a tag on the digital director for the whole campaign, never left their sites. You know, they were constantly in their face going, mm-hmm. I need this, I need this, I need this. And they did, they worked very well um, together because there are some things that the digital folks need from the field program yeah. as well to upload yeah. back into the database and same for the data people as well. So... I, you know, I can't, I really want to underline, you know, what you just said there, Jack, for the folks out there listening is that the, 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 I mean, obviously we don't want silos across the campaign at all, but no. the closeness between field data and digital is so critical in the work from a selfish perspective, from a field perspective, I need yeah. the digital people to succeed so I can succeed. I need the data people to succeed so I can see, succeed as well. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's try to be as close as policy and comms. That would be great. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> Just don't get me started on those Freaking media advisors, Fennec, and just swanning around on the phone all day. What do they do? No one knows what they do all day. 
True story. True story. Um, in 2014, I think it was state campaign. Um, the our my training director, um, uh, Kate. I won't say her last name because I don't know if she was, but she's an American. She came out here for two years. Uh, and the comms team were in one of the other rooms and she came to me one day and said, Stephen, I never know what they're doing in there. They're always <laughs> meeting. What are they doing in there? And I said, okay, you and I, I have no idea. I just don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a foreign concept to me. Anyway, enough shitting on comms people. Um, actually, speaking of which, we had a, um, <laughs> no, we had a, I thought comms people were Daniel Andrews uh, team. Uh, we had Eloise uh, Young, who was the digital director for Dan Andrews's uh, campaign. Um, uh, in um, on the show uh, earlier, well, this year, last year, I don't know, the whole last two years have been a blur. But she made uh, an analogy of social media being a means of a digital door knock. Uh, do you agree that that there has been a case in the current election that we are now starting to move towards seeing that concept of yeah. the digital door knock that Eloise was talking about? Yeah, I, I, I like that analogy, right? Because I, I think it, like, um, I think it, I think it puts um, into clarity for for folks that don't quite understand what digital does. Like it, it gives them a, a reference point. You're like, oh, okay, it's kind of like having a conversation at the door. Now, that said, there's nothing that will replace a conversation at the door, right? And there are different digital tactics that are closer to that than are further away. So on the furthest away example, right, is social media posts. Social media posts are not particularly uh, door knocky. Um, they're pretty impersonal and they're, and they're pretty kind of broad just by their nature. And there's no, it's not, you know, there's, there's not much you can do about that because that's how the platforms work. However, um, a peer-to-peer text from, um, from, you know, an organizer in a seat, you know, you may argue whether that's field, whether that digital doesn't really matter. Um, that is pretty close to, uh, that is pretty close to a digital door knock. Right. Um, and I, and I'll say, you know, we kind of have touched on this a couple of times. One of the most difficult things about being a digital practitioner in a campaign, it doesn't matter what the title is, whether you're a director or a manager, you know, just a junior folk, um, is being taken seriously by the senior leaders, by the people at the um, senior decision-making table, right? Um, and we've come a long way in the last 10 years um, on that um, around the world and in Australia, but we're still not quite there, right? Um, and so uh, I think it's really important that digital has that senior seat at the table so that people can really understand like how essential it is to modern campaigns. And digital isn't just a distribution method. It's not just oh, well, we've, we've got this message of the day, um, we've got this TVC cut, can you put it out on digital? Digital is, is a lot more than that um, and it contains feedback loops and all, all sorts of other things. Um, it touches on field with the digital door knock, it does touch on comms, it touches on uh, rapid response, disinformation, all that type of stuff. Um, so it's a digital door knock, yes, if it's done the right way, if it's targeted, if it's personalised, if it's thoughtful. Um, but if it's done the wrong way, if it's just broad you know one unidirectional comms just just kind of blasted out there at people um then it's it's nowhere near a digital door knock so um i'm sure the folks in victoria did it in a way that was much more digital door knocky um but that's not necessarily the case just by virtue of it being digital turning to um turning our minds to the campaign right now i want to get your thoughts on uh, what you're seeing um from both parties and if you've got thoughts actually on the uh, on the minor parties as well, I'd be interested mm. to hear your thoughts on that as well. But I just want to get a sense of what you're seeing from the two parties in terms of their digital campaign and feel free to lean into um, all aspects that we've already discuss- discussed, um, volunteer, activation, yeah. um, um, fundraising, persuasion, you name it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, 
Look, it's been a really interesting digital campaign to watch. I, I wasn't in the country for 2019. Uh, I was still overseas, but, you know, of course, watch it from overseas. I would say that the 2022 federal election is the first truly modern digital um, election uh, in Australia's history. Like I said, we're usually a few years behind what happens in North America. Um, and this is for all parties, right? Um, so I think what we're seeing now in this election is um, – Labor is significantly outspending everyone else uh, on uh, social media, digital ads across all the platforms. I'll look, put a bit of an asterisk there for UAP and, and Palmer. Like you kind of like he's spending a lot of money, but it's not the same, right? It's it's not it's hard to compare. Um, so I've been tracking digital um, ad spending um, and publishing it in my newsletter, and and you know each week through the campaign, and Labor has maintained a steady lead all the way through, um, which hasn't always been the case in, in previous campaigns. So that's fantastic. Um, in terms of um, content that folks are putting out, traditionally the Liberals have been a lot more hard edge in their content. They've been a lot more meme based. They've been kind of nastier. Um, they've really understood the platforms. They've understood what performs well and what gets attention on platforms, um, probably better than than Labor or, or you know the Greens or the Miners have um you know they've employed you know like um top and grace and these firms that have worked you know come out of new zealand but have worked for the tories in the in um in the uk and that have you know some other firms that have done some work in the us um but i would say this election that's starting to flip and labor has um a really good content generation kind of machine going on um we're speaking to different audiences than we used to speak to online labor's tiktok um is performing better than all of the other parties so, um, so there's some been we've we've definitely gained ground in the content um, wars this election, which has been great to see. Um, one one area that neither of the major parties are performing particularly well in, I would say, is digital video. Um, so, um, and in this case, I'll, I'll tip my hat to Jackie Lambie and the Lambie Network. They have beautiful, uh, emotive uh, candidate videos online. Their Tammy Tyrrell one in uh, Senate candidate in Tasmania is fantastic. Um, they're really the first kind of political group I've seen in Australia bring American-style candidate videos to the country where they are personal story, they're narrative-driven, they're, you know, in the very best kind of Gantt sense, they are they are like a story of self. Mm. Um, we don't do that. Um, you know, we I think it's pretty cool. We don't do that in the Labor Party. Yeah, suck at it so badly. Yeah. We don't even try. We, we don't even try, right? Like we just, we, we start off by saying I'm X candidate and then here's our laundry list of seven, um, you know, things I'm going to build. Um, and, and it doesn't connect with people, right? Um, so we have a long way to come there, but so do the Liberals as well. Uh, but Lambie seems to have hired some folks. Um, you know, I, I doubt Jackie Lambie <laughs> is doing a lot of this herself, but Lambie seems to at least understand and value story enough. And I think we know that about her that she does, um, you know, and value that personal um, approach. So seen a lot of good video coming out of, out of Jackie Lambie's campaign, which I think when the campaign is over and things have washed up, um, we should take a look at that. Um, because I think there's a lot to learn. From, uh, from my ivory tower, I've, I've noticed that uh, the digital team, the labor digital team have been quite good at turning around content quickly. How, how important is, um, speed in these campaigns? Yeah, it's really important and it's become it's become more important, right, as the volume of content on social has increased, right? Therefore, yeah, your posts are heavier, they sync quicker. So um what what I know is that they have invested in a uh like a pretty beefed up, pretty significant content generation um uh team at CHQ. And I know that a bunch of the branches have folks doing this as well. So you know, they're younger folks, they're people that are fluent with online mediums and they are able to turn stuff around quickly. And I think that that has been um, really important. I think that there's, there's a risk that you, um, 
that you over index for uh, snappy meme type content. It's important. Like I'm not saying it isn't, um, but there's a risk that you, you, you prioritize that at the expense of um, more strategic and structured um, online um, content. And I think that um, I'm not saying that they're doing that, but I would, but I, I think that that's uh, definitely a risk that we want to look at in the next election. We want to make sure that yes, the meme type stuff is doing well and it's doing great numbers online and the TikTok stuff is doing great numbers online, but we also need to have that really structured um, uh, supporter engagement through email and SMS. Um, I actually haven't seen, that's an interesting um, thing I want to note. I haven't seen a ton of SMS um, yet in Australia. It's huge in the U S it's huge in Canada. Um, to the point where there's becoming, there's getting some saturation on people's phones and it's probably losing its effectiveness. Um, you know, we do, we do SMS um, for our clients um, and it performs really well, but we're really judicious in when we use it uh, because you don't want to annoy people, but I haven't seen a whole lot of SMS this campaign. And I thought this would be the campaign when I was getting texts all the time uh, and it hasn't been. Interesting. I am consistently getting texts from both the um, local campaign, local labor campaign and Great. the state office as well. Fantastic. Um yeah, the peer-to-peer stuff, um, I know that when I was still head office, we used, we started to trial around with it after, I guess, Bernie, mm. uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign was um, seemed to have been a, um, a pioneer of it and we found it useful in volunteer engagement to mm. um, engage with younger folk that weren't answering their mobiles um, because they're all scared of talking to human beings. Uh, and uh, but in terms of persuasion, it was trash. The level of abuse we were getting from undecided or persuadable voters on text was just uh, we just stopped doing it because it was actually um, volunteers were finding the whole experience incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, it's it's seen as very intimate, isn't it? Right, getting a, getting a text message comes straight through to you. Ninety eight percent of texts are read. Um, you know, someone being in your text, it feels like I should know this person pretty well. So, if you're doing that for persuasion, no, people don't want that. Indeed. Um, just quickly, actually, I um, want to get your thoughts on, uh, just for, for the punters out there, the, the role that all of those different sort of social media platforms have in terms of a campaign. Like, what are you going to use Twitter for? What are you going to use Facebook for? What are you going to use Instagram for? What are you going yeah. to use TikTok for? Why are you still using MySpace? Yeah. Um, give us your thoughts on, on that. It'd be great if someone did use MySpace, actually. I think there'd be a first mover advantage if someone tried to bring that back. I think, I think you'd do okay for a couple of days. Um, look, different things, right? So Facebook is a great, um, Facebook's a great platform for advertising on. It's got fantastic targeting. Um, it's got great reporting. Uh, it's fairly cheap to generate leads on. So I would also come back to this idea that like, it depends on your campaign goals, right? Like if you're trying to, if you're trying to build your email list, then there's nothing as good right now really as Facebook. Um, if you've got a lot of great content on your website and you're trying to get people to your website to convert them to supporters, emails, to convert them to donors, to get them to understand your policy, then that's a lot of Google search, right? You really want to have a lot of Google search so that when people are looking for keywords around election related or policy related things, you're capturing that. Um, Twitter is for talking to journalists and hacks and that's all. Um, so it should be, it should be viewed in that light. It's important because it is where, you know, you know, the discourse happens. Um, so I'm, you know, you can't say don't be on Twitter, but don't ever think you're talking to very many voters on there. Obviously there's some voters on there. Everyone's a voter. There are some swinging voters on there, but your bang for your buck, your ROI for your time spent on Twitter. Um, you know, you've got to keep in mind that you're talking to journalists on there. Um, uh, TikTok, um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm aging, I'm aging out. Um, <laughs> but I do know that I know the ALP is invested in it. Uh, 
a client that I've worked with for a long time. Um, the United Workers Union um, has a great uh, TikTok going right now called Gen U, Generation United. Um, they have set uh, set up this account and they're doing tons of awesome um, political, you know, union style content on there. And it's doing really, really well. I encourage folks to check that out. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, look, you've got to you've got to be active on these platforms. Um, and I think there's a question about how you structure your team around these platforms too. Um, I know that a lot of the uh, campaigns in the US in the 2020 primary actually set up platform specific teams. So the Buttigieg campaign in particular didn't just have kind of a social media team; they had a platform te- a platform team. So they had a Facebook team, they had a Twitter team, they had an Insta team. Um, and that's because the languages and the and the communities and the way that you engage in these platforms is all really different. Um, and so you want to make sure you're bringing that right kind of cultural approach to these platforms, not to mention that the way you advertise on them is different as well. So, you know, that's, that's probably for, you know, elections in the future, but um, treating these platforms as specific um, channels rather than all as one kind of social media bucket, I think is something we need to need to look out for. That's a good segue to uh, my last question, which was, um, or second last question, um, where what's the evolution of um, digital campaigning in, into the future? What are we seeing from this campaign that uh, is, it gives us a sense of where it's heading here in Australia? Yeah, look, generally in terms of the evolution, like I think there's um, there's a few ways that we're going. Like I think in terms of the infrastructure that we use to set up digital, um, I really believe we're moving from a one size fits all. So you've got your everything all in one product, your email list, your database, your uh, volunteer management, your website, all in one product. That's too hard. No one, no one product can do all of those things well. Um, and I hope that we're moving towards uh, a system where we have a central data warehouse that houses all of our data. And then we plug in using an API, we plug in different um, political tech, right? There's amazing political tech that comes out of the US every single cycle, every two years over there, funded by New Media Ventures, funded by Higher Ground Labs, great progressive tech companies that serve the Democratic Party and the, and the union movement over there. And they just are always throwing up awesome things. And we need to be using more of that, plugging it into our systems and then discarding it when something better comes along rather than being locked into kind of a, a one-size-fits-all um uh, like technology stack. So that's on the infrastructure side. Um, where are we going on, on, you know, kind of broader? Like, I think there's, um, I think there's two things. The first thing that we've got to get a lot better at is something I mentioned earlier, which is content. At the moment, we basically put media releases on websites as policy documents. So when you actually like work that through, like there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, people want to know, what we stand for, right? People want to know what they're buying or what they're, what they're voting for or signing up for or donating to. So we need to explain it to them. It doesn't mean we need to publish draft legislation before when we're the opposition and put it online. Of course not. But we need to talk about our values. We need to provide examples and case studies. And, you know, we have a, we have a plan to, um, you know, increase the subsidies for childcare, right? Right. So why aren't there five different case studies of different families and how it would affect their lives, and a video from um, from the family talking about what their life was like before they, you know, before the childcare subsidy and after it, and you know, really allowing people to understand what labor is, what we're for, and visualize what that mean, would mean in their life. And that starts with really good content. Um, so, for example, like if you, I think about it this way, if you if you want to go get Asana, you know, like the task management software, you go to their website, 
It's got all the features of Asana, but most of their website is like content on task management and, um, you know, uh, how to, you know, a downloadable checklist for how to set up a productive team meeting, you know, advice from psychologists on how to not split your focus, all of these kind of adjacent things that aren't necessarily about here's the six features of Asana and how you can set up, you know, recurring meetings. Um, it's, it's, it's the whole kind of ecosystem that surrounds people who are looking for that product. So when it comes to labor, it's like, let's tell stories about our people. Let's tell stories about our vision. Let's, um, let's talk about our history more. Let's just provide a whole lot more context because people are really hungry for it. So that's content. So the second area then I'd say is personalization and community. And they seem like they're in conflict, but they're not really. Um, I think a whole lot more of our digital um, campaigning and our digital communication is going to come down to how do we personalize experiences for people online? How do we not show everything, uh, not show everyone all the same thing all the time and make sure that we show people um, stuff that they're interested in based on what we know of their interests or we can assume of their interests from you know various targeting and whatnot. Um, and then how do we leverage community? How do we help our supporters form communities that don't always involve you know, us or party office or, you know, or the union secretary or whatever, you know, if it's a union or if it's a, an advocacy organization, don't involve the ED. How do we allow them, our supporters, to actually come together in community and create things together and, um, and, and further our vision through their own, through their own kind of endeavor? And I think that's how you get leverage and that's how you get scale. And that's the thing that we're struggling with right now. And to that last point, I mean, that's the challenge of organizing, isn't it? It's when we move from being, from mobilizing to organizing, when it goes from that trans. Uh, transactional experience to transformational, uh, deep organizing and enabling others to achieve shared purpose, which is, um, you know, that's, that's, that's what we try to do when we organize. Um, last question, uh, not really related to um, digital, but just you're in Tassie. And uh, next uh, to our listeners, next Monday, we're putting out a show that we're going to have, it's a three-part episode. Um, I don't know we're going to find the time to do this, but we've got uh, three guests on simultaneously uh to talk about the campaign in wa new south wales and queensland but since you're in tasmania and there are some critical seats we need to win how are you feeling about things in tasmania coming into the final uh you know voting started today so in the final two weeks look i think i think things have uh through the course of the campaign we've got a lot we've gained momentum in tasmania for sure and we had uh albo down here for the official tasmanian campaign launch on Saturday, we're recording this on Monday, so a couple of days ago. Um, and that we saw really good, you know, talking about what we can measure, we saw great uh, fundraising that came out of that through our SMS program for people that attended the event. Um, we've seen a lot of people at the um, Albo launch were not party members. Fantastic. They were supporters from the community. It's fantastic. Um, so what I would say is that things are really picking up here. Tasmania, I'm not a lifetime Tasmanian, right? I've lived here for two years, so uh, I apologize if I offend any Tasmanians, but Tasmania has weird politics. Um, and uh, there's always weirdness going on in the Senate. Um, there's always some weird below the line action happening. So, you know, I'm really interested in what happens with the with the with the Senate seat uh, with Erica Betts being bumped down the Liberal ticket. Um, obviously, you know, we've got a great candidate in Kate Rainbird who's um, who's fighting for that seat. So, we're hoping that goes well. But I think um, I think we're looking very competitive in Bass. Um, I think we've got a fantastic candidate in Braddon in Chris Lynch. Um, it's a it's a t- Braddon is a tough seat demographically for us though. Um, but look, uh, you know, we went from, you know, Liberal Premier Peter Gutwin calling an election a year early at the height, the absolute height of, um, you know, COVID era popularity. Um, and, and that was very hard for the party. Um, but, you know, in just over a year, things have changed a lot down here and we're back to normal politics. So I think we're definitely in the hunt. Good to hear. 
election day, what's your plans? Because you have to hand out on this one. You can't get away with it. There's no hair clock in uh, the federal election. I know, I know. I didn't have to do anything last time uh, other than other than uh, your digital stuff. Yeah, look, uh, look, take my kids. My kids are kind of old enough to kind of understand elections now, so that will be fun. Go vote at kids' school and, and do that stuff. Uh, it'll be good. I haven't been in Australia for a federal election for quite a number of years, so I'm just I'm looking forward to just enjoying the day. And have your democracy, democracy sausage. Uh, Jack Milroy, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was uh, it was really good to um, to get together and actually have a bit of a yak. It's a bit of a sort of a uh, wonder twins combined field and uh, digital getting together and, <laughs> you know, sharing, sharing the love. So we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday.